Life can take us on unexpected paths that leave us with emotional wounds and scars. But these scars do not have to be a burden that we carry alone. I'm Jocelyn Biederset, a childhood sexual assault survivor, and this is Invisible Scars, a podcast where we connect and learn from those who have come out stronger on the other side of trauma. In today's episode, I am sitting down with Paige Matheson. Paige is a clinical counselor who specializes in trauma-exposed professionals, and she got into this field after many years as a psychiatric nurse. In 2020, Paige experienced a mental health injury at work, which sent her into her own trauma healing journey. She brings honesty, laughter, and so much information to this episode and into her own practice. I hope that you guys love this episode as much as I do, so let's get into it. I'm super curious about your own story and I love how you talk about bringing like humor into your healing practices. I love that. I want to talk to you about that too, because it's so interesting and maybe this is a trauma response, but my brother and I used to talk about how funny we used to be. And I was like, I used to be so funny. And then now that I'm like healing a little bit, I'm like, I'm not funny anymore. There's actually this meme that goes around on Instagram. And it's like, my fear is that if I heal from my trauma, I won't be funny anymore. And I'm like, that's me. I literally started writing comedy about this. I literally two weeks ago got up on stage and ranted about how I'm not as funny. Okay, I love this. Someone needs to fuck up my life. Someone needs to flip something around so I'm funny again. (laughs) Right? I was like, hey, well, I used to be really funny. Like, I used to actually just have, like, a comeback for everything. And now I feel like I'm running in slow motion. And I'm like, I got nothing. It's a weird thing. It's a weird thing. But I was like, yes, the memes are true. (laughs) The memes are true. I love that. I love that page. So before we get started, actually, I always like to start off every episode just to kind of get us to break the ice. Um, I love to share with everyone who's listening kind of something that I'm doing this week, a mantra or something I'm doing to help take care of my mental health. And one of the reasons I love speaking to people like you who are actively involved in the mental health community, I think that such a misconception is that mental health professionals um, don't need to do anything to look after their mental health, right? But in reality, you guys are hearing stuff from other people. It's probably very hard to leave your work at work. And I love hearing what you do every day to take care of your mental health. So I'll start. So I'm actually really excited for this one because right now I'm working so hard to turn any negative thoughts I have into positive ones, which sounds easy, but it's not like, The other day I had this, like, I actually just did a solo episode on this talking about how I had a spiral day where I just felt like for me, everyone's doing it better. Why am I not more successful? I suck. So that day I was like, every time I have these thoughts, I'm going to actually try and do a positive thought to get rid of it. And it wasn't like a flip of a switch. It probably took me like two days, but I'm getting better at it. So I just feel like the more I practice it, the more natural it'll become. Totally, because you're challenging automatic thoughts. You're challenging yeah. like patterns that are already there. And so that is not an easy task. <laughs> no, it's, I've wired myself like that for the last 30 some years, right? So I'm trying to remind myself it's not easy to unprogram what you've been doing your whole life. Yes, 100%. Yeah, I would love to hear what you do. I'm so curious. Yeah, I have been trying a few different newer methods. Um, somatic experiencing being one of them because I'm doing my practitioner training. So now I'm learning how to also just tune into my own body and just feel things and just allow them to come Mm. and then go. And also I was trying art therapy for a little bit. And now that I have my art backpack set up, now I have like an easy access to just get creative when I just need to express without words. And so those are two areas that I'm kind of been diving into more and really enjoying those processes. Oh, I really love that. So when I was younger, I was so artistic. I used to draw and I used to paint and do all these things. And it's something I've actually dropped now that I'm in my adulthood. And I really wish I could pick it up again. So even when I sit down and color with my daughter, I find it so soothing. Yes. Yes. (laughs) It's just something different to focus on. You're using your hands. You're like, it's beautiful. It's calming. It's actually something I want to keep doing is like sitting down and coloring with her. We both enjoy it. It's time together. And I just, it really relaxes me. Yeah. It's incredible how much just kind of getting out of your head and just focusing on a piece of paper and just seeing the lines 
Like there's something so simple and so beautiful about it. Because even if we're choosing color, that's such an easier choice than choosing like certain life decisions. And it's just like simplistic, beautiful thing that we we can give ourselves. Mm -hmm. I love that you're doing that. That's amazing. (laughs) I want to get into your practice and kind of what that looks like and the type of modalities you bring into your own, your own practice. But before we do, I would love it if you could tell us a little bit about yourself and how you kind of got to where you are today. Yeah, so I'm Paige Matheson. I'm a registered clinical counselor after many, many years of being a psychiatric nurse. And I, man, how do you even just like, focus in on all like, Back in the day when I did podcasts, I would just say my careers and that kind of felt like enough, but there's so much more to me now that I acknowledge and recognize. And so I'm a lover of my cats. I am a person who just has a super deep passion for helping other helpers, especially, but just being able to sit with people and be curious about whatever their issues or struggles are in the moment is really not only my part of my professional role, but just like, I love helping people navigate these difficult things because there's so many times I've wished I had the same support that I provide to others. Mm-hmm. Totally. It's so interesting to me that you went from a psychiatric nurse to what you're doing now. What made you make that shift? Yeah, I, cause I've been a psych nurse since 2009. So long time. Wow. Mm-hmm. Um, and I absolutely loved that role for many, many years. And as time continued forward, I noticed that I had very limited amount of things that I personally could do for my patients, that things had to go through physicians. And not only that is the amount of paperwork that keeps growing and growing and growing in the nursing world, it was taking time away from patients. And so Mm -hmm. where I had my cup filled was sitting down and having really meaningful conversations, which wasn't happening very often, especially when I was working in the emergency department. So I noticed over time, I was really enjoying deep and meaningful conversations with my colleagues, which then continued to spark and cue this idea of, wait a minute, like, I want to help helpers. Like, none of these people are willing to go to therapy because they are have this fear or this belief that because they're helpers, they don't need help themselves. And that is so ingrained in the culture of healthcare and so many other careers that exist. And Mm -hmm. so because of that, I started getting more passionate about that decided to go back to school. And in my second semester, I actually had a workplace mental health injury that put me off work for 10 months. So from there, it even grew even more passion to be able to assist people in like a whole different way. Totally, because you know what, it gives you a perspective on both sides of the spectrum. As um, caretaker, someone who's helping in this professional role, and then also somebody who's actually experienced themselves, what that means to be on the other side of it. If you're comfortable, I would love if you could share with everybody kind of what that experience was for you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I worked with um, some pretty high intensity patients in the hospital, um, just basically people who were in incredible mental health crises. And I've always had such compassion and understanding for their experiences And so I had an interaction with a patient who was being very verbally abusive. And this isn't something that's new or unusual in my role, but something felt different that night that it got to a point where I myself was feeling fight energy. I wanted to yell back. And this is something in my entire life, I've never been like a person who really experienced anger before that time. Or not that I'd allowed myself to experience at that time. But it wasn't until like it was just that a flick of the switch went and suddenly everything that I knew of how to cope, how to view the world and everything suddenly just shifted. Interesting. So something just that that patient had done or said completely triggered you in a way that you had never experienced before. Absolutely. Yeah. And it was a shift that like the two colleagues I was on with, like I was like, we got this, like, it's going to be such a good shift. Like I was, I was not in an already vulnerable position when I started that shift. So it was really incredible to experience what the symptoms of PTSD can be as I had experienced a lot of trauma throughout my life, but had never allowed myself to experience it until this this particular incident when my body just said enough's enough we need to we need to heal now (laughs) 
Okay. So what I find so interesting about this is that, okay, you've had a past of trauma when you were younger that you never dealt with. And you thought, okay, I've got this. It doesn't bother me. So I'm just going to keep on going and living my life. And then bam, that bus hits you and you're like, holy shit. So this is what happened to me as well. So this is why I find it so fascinating. So it was something for myself. It was something that had nothing to do with my trauma whatsoever. And it took that event that completely triggered me to for me later to figure out, oh, this is what triggered me about it. I'm curious, what about that event that you figured out later? What was the trigger for you? For me, it was being told to be silent. Mm -hmm. So that really triggered the sexual abuse. And when I was told that I could never tell anyone or they'd kill me or my family or whatever it was, it was later in life, someone telling me that I could never speak of something that happened that really hurt me. So it was that silencing trigger. I'm so curious what it was for you. Yeah. And that's such a beautiful prompt because I really had went through, like I did do um, eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. And one of the common themes mm -hmm. was like a loss of control, which did not come from the patient. It came from the system. Right. And so I had this deep sense of it will never get better. And I had a deep sense right. of if I choose not to go to work, I will be judged. And so the combination of these two parallels was really hard and complicated. <laughs> this is, yes. And you know what is so interesting too, is the level of, if I don't go to work, yes. I'll be judged. And I could not go to work. I couldn't even think about the hospital without suddenly bursting into tears. It was unbelievable. The difference between I got this, suddenly I don't got this. <laughs> Just out of nowhere. So do you think that this, like, I couldn't go into the hospital, I couldn't think about going to work. Would you characterize that as a panic attack? Oh, it was full on panic for weeks. Um, I was just teetering on the edge of tears for two weeks straight. My mm -hmm. body was just in such this activated state. And at the time, I didn't have the language for it, which is wild to me because I was a psychiatric nurse and I worked alongside trauma. I worked alongside severe mental illness. and so. The fact that I didn't have words to describe what was happening to me, now at this point, I'm like, I'm so glad that I have this language to give to others. Because at the time when I was trying to Google nurses being off work, nurses having mental health injuries, nurses going through this, there was nothing, nothing. I was like, all right, I guess I'm the anomaly. I guess I'm the, I'm the fail switch. And that just was so heavy. Well, also, just like as any trauma survivor, you feel so isolated and alone. And I think until you experience something like that, it is incredibly difficult to understand what people feel when they're going through that. It's, it's, I find for myself, and I know that I've spoken to a lot of other survivors through this platform, that they just feel so detached from it because First of all, they feel if they do attach themselves to it, then everyone is going to back away. They're going to lose all those people in their life. Everyone's going to think that they belong in an institution somewhere or they're going to lose their job or they're going to be shut out of their friend groups. Like it's so isolating. Yeah. And to be honest, the guilt and the shame that I felt was far worse than the traumatic event itself. Right. Because that shame lingered until I learned how to adapt and heal from just like the self that I had. Totally. So I'm so curious what you leaned on during that time when you felt like you couldn't go to work, you felt like you couldn't not just not go to work, but you also felt like you could not show up to work. So what steps did you take yeah. after that? First of all, what a vulnerable situation you were <laughs> well, in. Well, not even like, and this happened January of 2020, right when the, oh, good right timing. the inklings <laughs> of, of the vid had shown up. And I was like, I'm not at work. And so then when shit hit the fan in March, my guilt skyrocketed even more that said, I should be on the front lines with these people. Like, why am I not here? And so what I did was I immediately booked in with a counselor that I had already had a, a previous relationship with. And we started EMDR pretty quickly after that. Um, then they hooked me up with a psychologist who gave me a diagnosis of adjustment disorder. And that is basically PTSD symptoms minus I wasn't in a life-threatening situation. And so I also did um, exposure therapy alongside with an occupational therapist and like my counselor and my therapist or like OT, they were like my lifeline. 
because I would reach out to friends, but I just knew the stigma in the, the healthcare world of what happens when people choose to go off work. And I wish that it had been a choice for me because I don't think people really understood, like, how was she fine one day and that now she's not. It was so interesting. And actually, a lot of people didn't reach out to me because no one said anything at work. People actually thought I was taking time to focus on my master's. And so lots of people didn't even know why I was away. And so when COVID did hit, I reached out to a bunch of local businesses to send like care packages of like really good self-care stuff. And then I shared my story that summer online. And the amount of comments I received from people who had been in the same position as me, but chose to go back to work too early or never went back, but never told anybody why and just the shame and blame they felt. Um, I was like, okay, one of my purposes in life is to reduce the stigma of people in healthcare having mental illnesses. Oh my gosh. I love this. First of all, like I fully believe that the shame dies when we start talking about it and sharing our stories because the amount of people who need to hear it, the level that we don't speak about these things, like it is so crazy. And I also didn't realize it until I started sharing my own story. The other thing that really stands out to me is just we say this all the time in this world is like, don't judge because you never really realize what somebody's going through. And frick, does this ring true, especially for you, because the fact that people thought you were just going to work on your master's secretly or doing whatever, like, and not understanding how someone can be okay one day and not the next. It's true, though, because we all put on this brave face of like, everything's fine, everything's fine, until we're freaking not. So exactly it. And I even for myself, like, I kept still telling myself to a certain degree, there was this little voice in my head when I was doing exposure therapy, which means I was having to like gradually get closer and closer to the source of stress, which was my workplace. Mm -hmm. And there was always this little voice that's like, am I exaggerating this? Like, am I like, Am I doing yes. this wrong? Like, what am I doing here? But then the first time I ever stepped foot in the hospital, I went and sat in the lobby and my heart rate <laughs> shot up to 190, which is high, y'all. <laughs> and it stayed there until I walked out the doors. And that was the moment where I had this very tangible, measurable moment of oh, my body is really speaking to me right now. I love that you say that because our bodies don't lie. And I fully believe in my own life. Like I really, really, I preach this all the time on this podcast and all the time on my Instagram, just about listening to your gut and listening to those cues and really tuning into your body and what it's trying to tell you. And I really drive this home with my daughter now at 10 years old, because I want that to be such a strong muscle that she uses in her life. Our, our bodies tell us. And when we have the, I don't want to say the guts, but like when we really lean into that and have the guts to change our life for the better, like it can be so scary, but that's where the magic happens. Don't you think, Paige? Like, is that not for you where the magic happened and you kind of changed your life and then went into this new area for your profession? My entire worldview has changed. My entire worldview, how I perceive others, how I perceive myself mm -hmm. has shifted in ways that is just completely indescribable. And I know that that will continue throughout my yeah. lifetime because I'm just so immersed in the curiosity of human experiences at this point. Because, yeah, our bodies, like, that's why somatic experiencing is one of the areas that I'm training in now. I'm still just in the mm -hmm. beginner level. But that is allowing a person's body to speak to us. We get them, like, I just prompt different questions or just getting them to tune into different sensations. And without even words, sometimes there will be this release that occurs and the look on people's faces of what the F was that? And I'm like, I don't even have answers for it. We just gave the space to do its thing is wild. It's so wild. <laughs> I love this. Okay. So first of all, tell us a little bit more for those who don't quite get the handle on what somatic experience is. Um, it's something you're doing now and going to be bringing into your practice, correct? Yes. Yeah. And I've already doing stuff now because I have supervision to be able to ask the additional questions of someone if need be. 
Amazing. Okay, so walk us through what a somatic experience would be with you. Yeah, absolutely. One of the things that I often do is when someone comes into the room, I give them seating options of like, hey, is there somewhere in here that just kind of you feel pulled to and just watch where they choose to go. And a big part of somatic experiencing for the practitioner is a lot of observation of what is their body saying? What am I hearing? But also really tuning in and using my empathetic nature to really kind of feel into what they're experiencing too. And so with it, people can feel very seen, which can be a little bit uncomfortable sometimes. And so I often will ask if it's okay if I share some of the things that I notice. And if someone were to be trying to just build up their ability to tune in, we can sit down and I would just get them to tune into different parts of their body. A different type can be trying to resolve some fight, flight, or freeze energy that got stuck. And how that looks is very different for each individual. And sometimes it's just learning how to just sit and just allow it to just experience and go away. Like there are times where, for example, for me, I get, um, because we are also required as clients uh, to be clients of this experience too. But I noticed even that the simplest ways to resource myself, the things that I can tune into outside of me and inside of me that make it so that I feel a little bit more of a sense of, I got this. Like, it's just like Mm -hmm. simple tuning of certain bits and pieces. And that might sound very minimizing to some people because it's almost like that idea of like, Ooh, just think your way out of anxiety. And that's not what this is at all. This is just taking our attention elsewhere and just noticing something that doesn't feel yucky. We notice something that feels okay or good or at least neutral in comparison to what we're experiencing in the body if it's really activated. Okay. I love this because this is actually something I do for myself at home all the time. And do you think it's fair to say that when it comes to um, really tuning into your body and I I get some people are really uncomfortable with that. Some people I've spoken to are like, I just can't quite grasp that. Like, what does that mean to tune into your body? Um, And I would love if you could explain that, but this is something I do at home. And when you were speaking earlier about letting yourself feel these feelings and let them pass through. I just think that that is so key as somebody who has taken every feeling they've ever had since I can remember having a feeling and I've just shoved it away. And literally I have thought to myself, you know what? I just won't think about it. So it'll be fine. Yeah. And it just goes away. And that does not work. First of all, it will show up on a random Tuesday when you like literally think you're going to have the best freaking day ever. And you all of a sudden have a panic attack and you can't do anything. So it does come back. Don't be naive. You can shove it away, maybe even for years, but it will come back. And I actually, you know, as I was saying, I've spoken to so many people about what I do and they're like, well, how do you tune in? I don't understand. So could you walk us through a little bit of what that looks like or if someone's interested, how they could kind of start to do that at home a little bit? One of the safest ways to kind of start learning how to tune in, because I think one of the things is we hear about mindfulness so much and meditation and mindfulness and meditation tactics are incredibly beautiful if we are not afraid of sitting in stillness. Because when we sit Mm. Which I'm going to stop you there because as a trauma survivor, sitting in stillness is sometimes impossible and shutting off your brain seems impossible. It is possible because I've done it, but holy, it takes work. Big time. Well, and I, I heard once and I haven't seen this like in like research or written, but I came across this that if you are so used to having to be super in tune with your environment or have experienced trauma or have been really high intensity for a long time, that sitting in stillness tells our nervous system, I'm prey, I'm vulnerable. We were moving before and now you're not. And because you're not moving, that's probably a problem. Oh, I love how you just explained that. Yeah, it hit. It hit. When I heard that, I was like, that is what Mm -hmm. I need to explain to patients and clients because yeah, being able to tune in can feel so scary because that sounds like stillness. But two different options that people can do to kind of titrate into it, kind of slowly gravitate into it, is even if with movement, if you're just like shaking your hands and being like, how does that feel? 
does it feel warm? Am I feeling tingles? So you can even be moving and just seeing how it does. Like where in the body do I feel this? Is it just in my hands? Is it somewhere else? Or another one, if you have practiced a bit of stillness or want to tune into it, like set a timer for one minute and just be like, where in my body feels the best? Where does it feel good? Not where does it feel crappy? Because that's where our brain is often going to go directed to. But where does it feel okay or neutral? And sometimes that can just give our brain a reminder of, oh, right. We're feeling like crap, but not everything feels like crap. Mm-hmm. So one thing that I do is a lot of times when I can't sleep at night, so I'll like wake up at like one o'clock in the morning or two o'clock in the morning. And I now I'm I'm very in tune with my body now and I'm very in tune with what I'm feeling because I've done a lot of freaking work. Um, but when I'm woken up at those times in the night, I often will think to myself, okay, is there something I'm not paying attention to? Or is there something, some sort of feeling or problem that I'm avoiding? And I'll close my eyes and I'll start at my head and I'll just be like, okay, how's my head feeling? How's my neck feeling? And I'll kind of go through every body part. I'm like, is my heart racing? Does my stomach feel tight? Do my hands feel tingly? Like, And I'll go through every body part and just kind of focus on what each part of my body is feeling. And then I will say to myself over and over, you are safe. You are safe because safety as a trauma survivor is a really, really big deal. And as someone who couldn't even close their eyes in the shower before, now I'm able to close my eyes anywhere. So as I'm doing that and telling myself it's safe, then I'll start to notice feelings. And if there's anything I've been avoiding or something that's happened to me in the last few days that could be troubling me. So for me, that's a way for me to kind of tune inwards and go through each part of my body to see what's going on. Oh, I love a good body scan. Mm. It is truly practicing and learning to know your body and what it's speaking to us. That's really what you just described. It's true. And it feels weird at first, right? Like there, you know, there is a bit of spirituality that comes with this kind of work and reading your energy and feeling your energy. And I'm the type of person we were talking earlier, I'm incredibly empathetic. So when I'm interviewing somebody that has a really difficult story, I'm really feeling and picturing what they see and what they experience. And I think people who've been through trauma, when they have to constantly be scanning for safety, You've become really wired to read energies and read what's happening in a room. And I feel energies so deeply. So when I'm kind of going over the scan and turning inward, I'm basically just kind of reading my own energy and feeling where I need to be paying attention. Absolutely. Because that's exactly it. It's where do I put my attention? Because sometimes anxiety as well, mm-hmm. like often it's there for a reason and that they're like, we know that or have gained an understanding or can intellectualize why the anxiety is present. And sometimes it's just our mind trying to create a story or a sense of understanding when it could just simply be my body is filled with stress hormones because of something else. And it will just, our brains are so mystical and magical. They want us to stay alive so badly that they want, like there's this idea inside of the mind of if I know everything, if I understand everything, if I control everything, then I'll be okay. And so we can get really Mm -hmm. caught up in, I need to understand why this is here. When sometimes truly it's just because the body is still coming down from stress. Oh, I love that you said that. So first of all, I am so fascinated by the human brain right now. And I think that it's because of the work I've done and kind of what I've discovered about myself. And right now I'm reading the book um, Becoming Superhuman by Dr. Joe Dispenza. I don't know if you've read that. I have not, but I know of Joe and I'm going to write that down. Write that down because this book page, everyone who's listening, write that title down because this book is like life changing. I am obsessed with it. I've learned so much about the human brain, so much about what we're capable of. And I just think it is so important to understand. I think what it was, was understanding my trauma, understanding what it does to my brain and my body and how long it takes you. This is the key actually, is understanding it, first of all, help me process it but really giving yourself grace and the time for your body to come down, like you said, off those traumatic experiences, it takes so 
long. The amount of rest you need, like, I don't know if you've experienced this or you have other patients who's experienced this. I'm sure I'm not the only one. But since I've started really trying to unravel my own trauma, the level of tired I am and the amount of sleep I need, like, I can't pull an all dayer sometimes. Like I literally have to have little pockets of time to lay down and close my eyes because I am so tired. And then I sleep a solid night at home and I like, I still feel tired. And my therapist is like, you know, this is years of trauma where your nervous system was firing at like a hundred. And now you've come down to a level where your body can heal and allow itself to regulate. And it takes time. And I think it's so important for people to understand that. Yes, yes, because healing is hard. And if our body is just so constantly like preparing us to fight or run away or to stay frozen, mm-hmm. oh my gosh. And one of the things that I've had to learn in my journey too is about the freeze response. And I'd always thought about it as like a very like quick moment of freeze in the situation. But then I heard of the phrase functional freeze, where you are on that autopilot where you're going around, not really like you're just so disconnected. And I had to learn the difference between, okay, my body is resting and I'm able to rest versus, oh, my body is in freeze mode. I've actually detached and being able to differentiate those two things. So I know with detachment or if I'm feeling more of the freeze, it's like, okay, go move your body a little bit so that you can kind of get back into the body so that you can like Mm -hmm. have this leave versus just allowing it to just exist. Which is so interesting because I feel like so many of us live in functional freeze. Yeah. We're just teetering on the edge of fight or flight. And that's what I've noticed a lot, especially since 2020, that there's been so many more things that people are very polar about. The gray zone of things and Mm -hmm. the fluidity of compassion has shifted. And I truly believe it's because we experience so many fear-related messages for so long and these restrictions and this unpredictability. And so I truly believe that so many people are walking around in a state of fight, flight, freeze, even more so than I might have noticed years ago. You know what? I actually completely agree with you because it was like the one time in humanity where we collectively experienced the same thing at the same time. You're right. We all felt that same fear. We all felt like this great loss and like we'd lost our lives and what we thought it would be. And yeah, I never thought of it that way. And even leading up until now, like we're 2024 right now, and the world is continuing to change and look so different. And we don't know what's next. So we are all collectively still living in that space of fear. I think a lot of us realized that what we think or how much we prepare is not going to protect us the way that we hoped that it would. Mm -hmm. It can protect us in so many beautiful ways. But there also has to be that fluidity and flexibility of understanding that life's going to take turns that we do not anticipate like even just think of the fires here in the summertime like Mm -hmm. that was a devastating experience for so many and some people are still coming down from COVID related fear and energy so these life happenings it's so hard to just allow the body to naturally reduce stress when we already live in a culture that is very (laughs) pro-hustle very pro hustle. It's funny because I always used to say like, I work the best under a deadline. Like when I am under fire, when I am in that fight or flight, that is when I am at my most productive and my most best because I've always lived that way. That's how I thrive. And now in this new space, I'm like, oh God, I don't think I'm doing very good. <laughs> well, and it's hard. It's hard because like for me too, I have a diagnosis of ADHD. And I also specialize in that realm because shockingly, a lot of nurses happen to have ADHD. And so Mm -hmm. it's really interesting when I learned more about how my brain functions, I was like, oh, you mean I can create like fun energy to light the fire for me to get stuff done? I don't have to procrastinate or have like a whole bunch of things on my plate to freak me out. I can actually create like good energy to give me that oomph forward. And I was like, this is a game changer. I love this. I love this. So as you go through this and you have this like triggering experience and you shift into being a clinical counselor, what is your life like now? First of all, I wanted to actually say that I think it is so refreshing to have somebody that has a professional 
um, job like you do as a clinical counselor, as a psychiatric nurse, to be so open and honest about what you've also been through. I actually, for myself, I prefer that when I'm seeing a counselor, not that they're ever judging you, but it just humanizes them a little bit when they're a little more transparent about their own struggles as well, because I don't feel like such a fish out of water. I feel like it's really a safe space for me to be honest. And because who knew being honest in therapy is the key to actually getting the most out of it. But when you're sitting there with somebody who you feel is so superior to you in so many ways, it's sometimes difficult to open up. And I love that you're being so honest about your own struggles. And it's 100% the reason why I'm so transparent about my struggles. And I'm very active on like TikTok and Instagram. And I look at a lot of other accounts that are professional accounts. and And I acknowledge the importance of holding and maintaining like that professional stance. But I... I couldn't do the work that I do, especially with the trauma exposed professionals that I work alongside without showing my sense of vulnerability, because if you don't see my humanness, how am I supposed to expect you to acknowledge your humanness? Self-compassion is probably one of the biggest parts of my practice because we are all human. And one of the biggest privileges that I get is to listen to the stories of what people experience. And every single time I do it, gives me that that sense of knowing that like I'm not the only one who has struggles like it is truly an honor to absorb these stories and help people find Mm -hmm. different ways to perceive their environment like it's actually magical I hear that because I feel the same way about hearing people's stories on this podcast it has changed my life and I do I take it so seriously and I do also feel that it's such a privilege like for people to open up and share with you something so deeply personal and hurtful and just vulnerable it it takes a lot and the fact that you understand that just you seem so light and lovely and I just I imagine that the people that leave your office just feel amazing and one thing we laugh a lot in my therapy yes okay that's what I wanted to talk about because you actually were also a stand-up comedian can you please tell us more yeah absolutely and I've been doing it a bit for fun lately because I've been feeling inspired with some new jokes (laughs) basically all about my journey all about my healing journey but I started doing comedy in 2016 and I did it quite frequently and regularly for a long time and I just found that like it really helped me process what my day-to-day interactions were. Instead of looking at something and having something go wrong, I thought, how can I turn this into a joke? How can I turn this into a punchline? And that's exactly what comedy is, is looking at something difficult and like shifting the perspective. And so then I came across a laughter therapy course and started doing more learning about laughter and how it can be used as a healing tool. And then the more I dive into um, like different cognitive strategies, but also along with the body-based strategies, like laughter is free. Fake laughter can help. Like it's absolutely bananas. The little tips and tricks that people can add into their lives just to lighten it just a smidge. And even like, there's lots of memes and TikToks of like, Oh, my goal is to make my counselor laugh. Like they already know right off the hop, we're going to be laughing together because it's just the energy that I want to bring into the space. I love this. Like, I absolutely love this. First of all, if you can't laugh at your trauma, like <laughs> I love an inappropriate joke. I love to like laugh at myself because it is sometimes just you have to. And also sometimes when you look at your life and what you've been through, you either laugh or you cry because yeah. it's like, is this freaking for real? Yes. Absolutely. Cause like there are times where I'm like even now, because I'm so much more in tune with how much humor can be good. Like I now more naturally turn my traumas into punchlines now, but it's just making sure that you also remember to acknowledge the deeper feelings underneath because it's a beautiful tool to get through the moment. It's a beautiful tool to like for reflection, but I'm always the person who's like, oh my God, that's so funny. But like now tell me what else is happening. So yeah, fly over it because yeah, there's so many memes that just say like the therapists don't laugh. And I'm like, well, that's a bummer because one of the girls, (laughs) she was leaving and she had messaged me and said, um, she said, I love being here because there was just so much laughter. And I often, when I'm in the hall, like grabbing a tea, like one of the rooms has somebody laughing in it. 
And I love that, that to me is just like, that is healing energy. If it's going to be mm. energy at all, that's healing. Yeah. I love that. I know. Cause we were talking earlier about this meme that goes around on Instagram and it's like, I'm afraid if I heal from my trauma, I won't be funny anymore. And I'm her. That's me. I used to be so funny. And I'm like, I have to find my way back to this. Cause I actually, I was really good at a one-liner. Like I yes. was so good before. Well, and when it becomes a practice skill, it's so different, right? And then when yes. we start to kind of like look at things different, then it shifts again. But you can always go yeah. back to the humor side of things. It's just, I, yeah, again. I love that. Yeah, I love that. So I would love for you to kind of take us through what it looks like in your practice if someone comes to see you. First of all, a few questions regarding that. You're based in Kelowna. I am. Yeah. There's no better place in the world to live, I feel. I don't know how you feel, but I love Kelowna. <laughs> Originally in Manitoba, and this was a, a, a substantial upgrade. <laughs> yeah, right? I came from Prince George, so it was a little bit, it's a little different. So do you only see patients in person? Do you do it virtually, over the phone as well? What do you offer for anybody who's looking for help? I do both. Um, I'm very trauma-informed from the perspective of like, whatever your needs are, I will try to meet them the best that I can. So I do do both in person and virtual. Mm -hmm. I love that. That's actually the kind of therapy I do. We do it over the phone. And it is a game changer for me because I know for myself, part of the battle of going to therapy was walking through the door. Like when you're in those deep throes of trauma or like whatever you're going through, the hardest part is like, oh, I have to like look presentable to leave the house and I'm exhausted. And then I have to drive there. And now I have to go through the door. And sometimes that is enough to make you not go. Yes. Yes. It feels like a barrier. Mm -hmm. It does. And I always say that I felt like that was kind of like one of the silver linings of COVID was it opened up that world so much for people to be able to connect without being in person. Well, and I was doing therapy um because like when I was off work I was doing EMDR through mm. Zoom and I didn't know that was even an option that they could send a link that actually just goes back and forth across your computer that you don't have to see if like the camera's gonna freeze and I was like this is so cool and yes. so like, with time like yeah virtual counseling can be just such a beautiful thing especially for people who don't want to have to leave their house Mm, it's so true. And I would love, you know, just from your experience, you've been through so much as well. What is one piece of advice that you would share with someone who's navigating something similar, or even just navigating a different time? Because when we talk about trauma, too, it's not like, you know, abuse or sexual abuse, it could be a divorce, or a loss of a loved one, or a loss of a friend, or even just, you know, friendships ending. There's so many different levels. And it doesn't have to be like that big T trauma. Totally. Like one of my specialties is life transitions and that can be any transition because there can be a loss of identity and, and all of that kind of stuff can come up. Right. Mm -hmm. Look for someone who has a free consultation so you can get their vibe. Mm, I love that. That is so essential. I know that lots of counselors um, offer like 15 minutes or 30 minutes to kind of just do like a free touch base. Because if their personality turns you off, you will really struggle to be fully vulnerable with that person. It'll be a waste of your money and a waste of your time. 100%. And I've, I've, as a counselor, I went to counseling and this was for couples counseling. I don't specialize in couples. So I went to a counselor. We went for four sessions. At some point I was like, I don't like this. <laughs> I was like, why are we bonding over not liking what this process is looking like? When I didn't listen to my own intuition that was saying right from the start, this, this person isn't for us. And I was right. And so it was in the moment. And I know the desperation that we feel like, it, and desperation seems like the wrong word, but the urgency energy that we mm -hmm. can feel when we're panic Googling a counselor, do it when you're not in crisis mode. So when you go to look, look at the ads, try to give yourself some grace of like, maybe I'll just look at psychology today and just see if any of the keywords that I'm looking up come up. Or when you Google, a lot of our ads will come up for like, if it's anxiety management or trauma counseling, like Google what you want and then find those people and you can interview multiple. If you choose not to see us, that's for us to feel our feelings about, not for you to worry about how we're going to feel if you say no. 
Mm, I think that's key because we feel so guilty letting people down. I think that's just natural. But, you know, no one has ever actually said that before is to find someone with a free consultation because I also know that it's not a one size fits all. You're not going to click with everybody. And as someone who had a really awful experience in therapy when I was like 16, I was so turned off by it. I was like, no, I want nothing to do with therapy. And it was because I was with the wrong person. Yes. Oh, yeah. And one of the things that because like in my intake form, I often I have a question that says, like, have you seen a counselor before? What worked? What did not? Mm-hmm. And I love to ask that question because I have heard some really tragic stories from people who have been very let down by the person who is supposed to be their helper. And I always acknowledge how much bravery and courage it takes to re-put yourself into a situation where you could be let down by a professional again. Because it just hits different when it's a counselor, because there's this idea that if they're your counselor, they should know how to adapt to you and be able to just instantly help. If they're not the right match for you and they don't even make you feel that sense of safety and comfort, and maybe you don't know what safety and comfort feels like, but it's just, if you feel like a little bit of excitement or intrigue, or at least curiosity about that person, that might be a good match for you. Yeah. I love that. That is such good advice. And I also, I want to reiterate what you said um, a little bit earlier, just saying that if a counselor is not the right fit, that's for the counselor to worry about, not for you to carry guilt about. I really want to drive that home for everybody because I think sometimes that that really defers people from even trying. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's scary to think about having a conversation like that with a counselor, because I mean, one of the options is you could just totally ghost us. I mean, like, mm-hmm. you just- <laughs> that's okay. But I mean, how many of us are people pleasers, right? Like, it's so hard. So, so hard. And if it's easier to say to a counselor via email, if it's easier for you to write it, or mm-hmm. if you feel like or if your, te- your counselor is available via text or whatever, Like if you feel like you want to have some closure for the relationship, it doesn't have to be in person. You don't have to pay to see us to break up with us. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. They want that session of like the integration of the lessons or if Mm. it's reached that place or space where their healing journey is like, okay, I'm ready for a different person or I'm just ready to do this on my own. Some people love to have a termination session so that there's just this beautiful like yeah, closure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I love that. You know, you just are a wealth of knowledge. You have so many incredible insights and I would love to know if there's any resources you would like to share with anyone who's listening. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite people and like I've always heard of people having like inspirational people and it wasn't until last year where I came across a woman by the doc- the name of Dr. Edith Eager and she is a Holocaust survivor who transitioned from the Holocaust into trying to live her life um, outside of that realm and she later became a psychologist who specializes in military trauma and very, very like high intensity traumas. And she has two books. One is called The Choice and one is called The Gift. And I will give a trigger warning for both of them. They do have lots of trauma related themes, including some very, very heavy stories. But I found those two books, absolute game changer books for Mm. me. And I loved it because it was a perspective from a woman, a woman who has, she's in her nineties now and she's still practicing. Like she's still, wow, because it's just what she loves. And so her resources of the choice and the gift are a really incredible game changer perspective shifts. That's amazing. We'll link those in the show notes too for anyone who um, doesn't have a chance to write this down if you're listening while you're driving or something. Paige, this has been amazing, but I have one last question. We end every session with me asking my guest, what would you tell your younger self? Oh, I would tell her your vibrant energy is not meant to be hidden. Your unique and vibrant energy is meant to be in this world. It is not a weakness. It is such a strength. And being able to embrace and embody like more of my true and genuine and authentic self. Mm. Like if I could have felt this way earlier, I, it would have been pretty cool, but I get to appreciate it so much more now. Yes, I actually feel the exact same way. I love that. And also thinking back on that and who I was, if I could, you know, if I could have started to feel that earlier, 
I think so many of us, if you guys are in this phase of your life right now where you're like, I actually don't know who the fuck I am. Like, <laughs> I spent so many years wondering, like, I, who am I? Like, I don't even know who I am. But even having the question sparks the curiosity, which means you will get there. And when it clicks and you start to just live exactly how you want to live, oh, the magic, right? The magic. And that's exactly how it feels as magic. It's unexplainable what can happen. Mm -hmm. And like, I have this lived experience now. Like, it's yeah. just, it's, I have this lived experience that is proof to myself. And I get to see and witness it in so many other people. Like, it is possible to find this, this level of peace or understanding, or just mm -hmm. that sense of I got this, regardless yeah. of how life continues to move forward. That's so beautiful. I love it. Paige, where can everybody find you? Yes. Yes. My, my counseling practice is called Another Chapter Counseling. Uh, I named it because my name is Paige. And I thought that was super hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> Burn a page was too obvious. So I was like, ah, yeah. <laughs> Very clever. Very clever. And so there's myself and there's um, multiple counselors. We have a dietitian. We also have an energy healer here. So we're like a combination of things. Our dietitian specializes in disordered eating. We have OCD related care. Like I work with healthcare professionals. Like we all have just such deep passions for the work that I do. And everyone with me aligns with some, so many of the similar belief systems. Like I can't mm -hmm. believe I found the tribe that I have. But we're located at the Landmark Buildings in Kelowna, and we just love, love what we do. And if you are wanting to just kind of follow along social media-wise, um, I'm on TikTok and the Instagram at anotherchapter.ca is where you Amazing. Can. And do all of you collectively in your practice take patients that aren't from Kelowna that you could work with virtually? Yes. Yeah. Dependent on the counselor, most of us can only work in British Columbia, um, just based mm -hmm. on like our licensing and insurance. But one of our gals, she actually can work with people um, virtually through Ontario as well. And two of our are actually based in Alberta. So they're full virtual. But like we were discussing before, virtual can be just as magical as in person. Yeah, it definitely can. Paige, thank you so much. This has been such a pleasure talking to you. Oh, this was a blast and a half. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Anytime. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for joining me today. I hope that today's episode provided insight, inspiration, and comfort to anyone who is dealing with the effects of trauma. Remember, you are not defined by your scars and you are not alone in your healing journey. If you enjoyed listening, please make sure to rate, review, and share this episode with a friend who could benefit from listening. We'll see you next week.